What do you get when you mix birdies, a really good idea, and just being a gigolo? You get a good reason to watch movies after work. Hey there, guys, it's Thomas Green. And I'm Alex Lewis. And guys, we are finally back. Oh my goodness. Back in the saddle again. Yes. Our, <laughs> our extended break. Um, ran a little longer than we meant it to, but we are back. We are happy to be back. Uh, we're, we're refreshed. Hmm? Ready to go. We're refreshed. Ready to go. Speak for yourself. You can be refreshed, <laughs> I'm, I'm still excited. It's, it's movies after work. We're allowed to be exhausted. We're just... Ready to talk. I think the hook Again. for the show is that we're exhausted. I think that's our entire hook. <laughs> is that we're exhausted, so God knows what's going to come out of our mouths. Um, but for those of you guys that are uh, returning listeners, welcome back. Thank you so much for coming back. Thank you so much for bearing with the long break. For those of you that are first-time listeners, welcome to the show. This is a show where two exhausted dads get home from work and put the kids to bed so they can put a movie to bed. So... That's why we've been off for a month and a half, so that way I could have something just slightly clever to add to our intro. There you go. <laughs> I, I want to pretend... A, a month and a half, two months of work, this is what we're getting. This is top-notch material. <laughs> Premium content. In two when, more, when do we start the Patreon? Because people start needing to start paying for this. In, in two more years, we're going we're gonna to finally figure out how to add good music onto the beginning and the end of the show. <laughs> That's 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 pushing it, man. That's that's right, a little... well, we won't put a date on it. It'll, it'll be like uh, it'll be like it'll be like every movie right now. We're just like, oh, exactly. it's coming, it's coming. We promise, it's going to show up sooner <laughs> or later. Believe whatever date you want to believe. Uh, but yeah. This is totally off topic, and this is not related to what we're talking about today, but is there a date for James Bond? Because I forgot that that movie existed. So there is a date for James Bond. Uh, it's coming out in October with everything else. Yeah. Um, according to, according, well, no, according to reports, they financially can't afford to move the movie again. All right. So... It might never move again, literally, just because they can't afford to move the movie anymore. <laughs> so, and yeah, which, they got this far. It's it's the whole let it keep bleeding. It's the whole Wonder Woman eighty four thing where they finally said, okay, we just we it's got to come out on Christmas. We gotta all we gotta mainly put it on HBO Max. Like we gotta do something. It's why it's why we see almost no marketing for anything Marvel because they know they know not to push their luck yeah it's why we had it's why we we were all stuck with the weird orange fan made looking Shang-Chi poster until they finally put out those theatrical ones like a week or two ago yeah they were close enough to go okay we feel confident that we're actually going to release it let's make <laughs> let's put some time into a poster now um, but yeah, guys, uh, so we, we've missed so many trailers that we're, we're just going to kind of skip over it this week. Uh, granted there, there have been a lot of great trailers that have come out. There have been some not go, not so great trailers that have come out. There have been some incredibly bland 
trailers that have come out. Um, oh, we've been gone so long that there's been trailers that have come out and the movies have come out. Also true. We haven't discussed that. Also true. <laughs> Like I, was, like, I was literally about to say, there are really weird trailers like the Annette trailer, but you could just go watch it. You could literally <laughs> just go watch the movie. I, I I don't, like, I love Marion Cotillard, and Adam Driver's perfectly fine if you're in the mood for his two settings of quiet or loud, but, I mean, I'm I'm all about that movie for... The music by the Sparks Brothers and Simon Helberg. I'm ready to see what Simon Helberg's up to in that movie because he's got third billing in the film, so he's gotta he's gotta be given some good material. <laughs> this is just gonna be a podcast full of divergence to, tonight, but th- that's why a marriage story is so great because that plays to Adam Driver's strengths of be quiet until you need to be loud. Yes. If you haven't seen Marriage Story, it's really good. <laughs> and and I'm saying this as somebody who very much enjoyed him in Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Oh, yeah. I thought he was very good in yeah. that movie. But yes, very he's good. very quiet until Jonathan Price has dri- driven him too far over the edge and he starts yelling. And then he either gets knocked out or purposefully falls asleep. And when he wakes up, he's reset back to quiet. <laughs> there um, but yeah, so let's, I mean, let's, let's do some of the, the main catch up that we wanted to do, which is first and foremost, uh, just going to do just a brief little gloss over on our feelings about Black Widow. Um, Alex, what, what were your, was it worth the wait? Um, oh, that's a little question. Uh, I really enjoyed Black Widow. Um, but on the whole, it is. It's unfortunate that the first feature film that we get we got to see back in theaters for the MCU, and the first feature film for Scarlett Johansson in the MCU is Black Widow, is overall pretty disposable in the grand scheme of things. Um, that's just my opinion on it. Um, you know, I think other people could have you know, gotten more from the character, uh, you know, certainly not that I'm not the demographic for the film, but, um, if you're a badass woman who absolutely loved the film, more power to you, you know, I'm not taking anything away from that. Um, but I thought it, it, we had gotten so many things from Marvel in the, um, you know, in the way of uh, WandaVision and then um, even with Captain America and uh, the Winter Soldier, or, um, yeah, I guess that's the title. Um, and then uh, and then as we're in the midst of Loki and it's this universe-breaking series, uh, which I absolutely adore, Loki is far and away my favorite Marvel series, um, we kind of got a very formulaic you know, back to basics sort of story. Um, and there was nothing wrong with that, but I was just hoping for more, you know, it didn't play into the larger narrative of the MCU or the, you know, big grand, grand picture that they're trying to paint. Um, until we see more with, uh, with Florence Pugh's, you know, black widow or, or whoever she 
unfortunate to say, but I mean, it's a film that I enjoyed while I was watching it. It just did it. There's not quite as much to dissect as something with Loki or with WandaVision. Well, yeah. Yeah. And I think I, if this movie had truly been just about Scarlett Johansson's Natasha, uh, then yes, this movie unfortunately would have been a complete write-off. You know, why in the world did did they not just make this before? You know how you know why didn't they make this in between Ant Man and and Civil War and and or I guess after Civil War? Um, you know why didn't they why didn't they do those things? Um, but because it's about Florence just as much, you end up with the whole thing of, well, if we had introduced her character, you know, theoretically speaking, let's say they had they had put this movie either right before or right after Guardians Volume 2, you know, then we're sitting there during Infinity War and Endgame and going, why the hell is she not calling her family, you know? Yeah. Why? Why are we not asking Red Guardian to come to Wakanda to to do battle? Um, exactly. Why you know why, why you know why are we doing all you know why are we doing all this stuff? It, it, but because so because she's there, we couldn't have this film before now, um, and because. So because of that, it's where it needs to be. Unfortunately. Yeah, time time will tell with the the importance of the film as a whole. Unfortunately, as a result, we've gotten the first film since Iron Man three, where it either didn't play to the main narrative, or have comedy to juxtapose the fact that the stakes weren't super high, like with Ant Man and the Wasp. Yeah. So we we have that that major factor of things. Uh, play play pretty heavily into into this as a whole, um, and and I don't think it's devoid of comedy. Um, no. Certainly, if you like David Harbor, um, if you like his take on Red Guardian, you know I think a lot of people enjoyed him. I certainly enjoyed him. Um, but you know there were people who were like totally on the Red Guardian hype train and and saying how he stole the show. And mm. I love the scenes he was in, but I don't think really anyone stole the show. I really like Florence Pugh, and I think she, um, you know, if you find her sort of charming and, and cute and endearing, then like, um, and I don't mean cute as a pejorative, but you know, just like, I like her personality. I like her in the role. I think she, she lent the most humor to the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it poses an interesting problem of, why wasn't Red Guardian in the battle? You know, why didn't uh, Black Widow, you know, kind of sort of call on them? And, mm-hmm. and why wasn't she concerned about them during the snap? You know, there's no mention of them in, in Infinity War and Endgame, and it kind of lessens their involvement in this film. Like, you know, we're supposed to believe in this sort of spontaneous bond between these two sisters and... Uh, you know, the vest is really the only thing that ties them together, you know, when you're watching Infinity War. Well, and I I mean, I think an argument could be made for for Natasha not wanting to get her sister involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we also don't know, 
I think it's safe to assume um, very, very cautiously safe to assume that her sister survived the snap given that she seems to have a when we when we see her in the post credit scene which was not as good an introduction to uh Valentina as played by Julia Louise Dreyfus as the intro that we ended up getting for her character thanks to Falcon and the Winter Soldier so i was yeah, actually I, I i honestly thought that was a happy accident for them but she seemed to have a pretty well established life, which to me would suggest that she survived the snap. Uh, so to not drag her into that life would make sense. She probably had tabs on her. It also leads to something that's kind of her kind of painful and makes, I don't think lessens anything, but kind of makes things a little bit sadder because Black Widow sacrificing herself. This movie makes it an endgame. Makes uh, this movie makes it less of a choice, per se. Because um, Clint has only has um, Natasha. His family's all been snapped away. Her, at least her sister is still alive. Therefore, if Clint had been the one to go, it might not have worked. So it literally might have been a situation kind of like what Tony went through for Natasha of knowing that it, she might have known it had to be her. Um, because the one, you know, the person she loved the most was not there, her sister. Okay. So... I, I get what you're saying. I, yeah. So I think it... I don't think it cheapens the whole sequence, because I think she's still making the choice. I think even, even if she kind of knows that it has to be her, she's still making the choice. Yeah. Um, and she's still... She's not choosing to not tell him which I think is a nice way of making it about a moment with him um, and showing and showing him that he still has love in him, which I think is an aspect of her sacrifice that, that gets overlooked is that she's showing him that he still has hope and love and all this goodness in him despite five years of going around as Ronan killing people. So, yeah. yeah, I think, the, I mean, the movie, funnily enough, given what we were just talking about, the movie is very much a James Bond movie, which, in general, that's where the MCU is headed, in terms of its, its history. Over, like, in the, in the decades to come, it's going to be like the James Bond franchise. You're going to have the people that love to watch the movies in order, you're going to have the people that can tell you, oh, just watch this one, this one, this one, and this one. You're going to have the people that only want to watch certain eras. You're going to have the ones that are considered, like, essential viewing and the standards for the franchise and the ones that are super forgettable. But I think, I, I honestly think that Marvel 
is is a new generation's James Bond. Um, and I think that's a good. I think that's a perfectly valid place for it to be. I don't think it cheapens what it is. I don't think it elevates what it is. I think it puts it exactly where it realistically is. You know, there. It's and it's yeah. It's ideally a perfect place for for the the longevity of the MCU to be. So, I think I. So having this movie be kind of a James Bond movie, complete with Ray Stevenson playing a character who's one hundred percent a villain from a Bond movie. <laughs> he is, he is absolutely a Bond villain in this movie, and I love him yeah. for it. Yeah. Complete with his I can't be bothered to commit to this accent, but you can barely understand me, so you're gonna kind of assume that I'm committed to it. I mean, I know it's been you know we're not gonna dissect the film completely because we do have quite a bit to talk about but um and i mean this has been the butt of many jokes but what was your thoughts on the you can't hurt me because you can smell me reveal you know sort of weakness i i'm sorry but that was just that was honestly one of the lamest things the mcu has done in a while see i've we've seen so many variations of that. So to have it be like, we going on, on a pheromone based concept is not the, I, I think her solution was kind of dumb, but I think the general idea of this like pheromone based, reactive mentality. I think that I, I think that I think they could have simplified it and made it where it gave a person, a, a passivity to them where she just, she just couldn't build up the aggression needed to fight. And then once it's, and then once she has her nose broken, then she's able to just fully unleash in full rage mode. Um, yeah, I think they could have simplified it to that, but I think in the realm of I think in the realm of stupid pheromone based behavioral stuff, it's again, it's very James Bond. It's all very James Bond. Like if. <laughs> If we saw this villain doing this, like if we saw a James Bond villain do that to a Bond girl, would we consider it as stupid in a James Bond movie as we would in a Marvel movie? And that's that's the question that I've been asking myself a lot with this movie is every single time I go, well, that was kind of stupid. Not to like absolve this movie of anything, but just academically, I've been wondering like, okay, if a James Bond movie did this, would we forgive it? Because bear in mind, like the most popular James, the, arguably the most popular James Bond film of all time is Goldfinger, where the hero at the end of the movie is the the Bond girl because she called the police <laughs> to come in and save the day. Like, James Bond is borderline ineffectual in that film outside of getting his butt kicked by, by the henchman. Like, 
So we, like, it's funny to me just, it's been funny to be thinking purely on an academic level on this kind of stuff, what each genre and what each era lets us allow a movie to get away with. Um, I just, you know, there was, and, and no, was it, was it the worst choice they could have made? Certainly not, but I just feel like when all of the, you know, the Black Widow program, Black Widow program, when, when all of these women know this man mm-hmm. and have had interactions with him, it could have been something as simple as like, well, all of these women are brainwashed. So like part of your brainwashing and you, you know, you can include Natasha in there, mm-hmm. um, is that you can't hurt me. And I think that's just a simpler and probably more logical answer, but you well, know, that's a choice. She had, she, that's a choice. she had a different form of brainwashing than all of them though. So it's, yeah, yeah. it's all just that like devil in the details stuff that can both exonerate and condemn the choices in, in any movie. Um, and there, there'll certainly be a little bit, more of, of that talk as we continue on, but I mean, so I'd say, like, do you have anything else that you want to add on on Black Widow? Um, no, I mean, like I said, it, you know, it, it it's unfortunate that while it, it, I I honestly think the the biggest problem I had with it is the timing. The timing was just so unfortunate. While we, you know, it was released basically in the dead center of, you know, in the midst of us watching one of the most interesting, compelling MCU series, you know, yet, mm-hmm. and we're getting cliffhanger after cliffhanger, and you know, I, I was just absolutely in love with the series, and while I'm on such a high, of, you know, with watching Loki, I go to the theaters and I want to get that same experience if not a better more grand experience mm-hmm. with a grander scope you know with it being a MCU feature film and it just that was the biggest disappointment is that I'm, I'm in the theater and I'm like damn I could I want to go home and watch the latest episode of Loki again because this is this just isn't even living up to what I can watch in my house or on my phone mm-hmm. um, so that was you know just unfortunate timing on, on that part. Yeah. Well, yeah, for myself, yeah. I I think because, I think I mentally prepped myself enough that I was expecting a movie that wasn't really going to drive anything forward. Uh, but between that movie and Loki, we definitely learned one thing about fans of the MCU, which is people wanted their next big baddie. And segueing in, boy, did we get it on Loki. Oh, yeah. We also saw the biggest failure that the MCU has had in their marketing. Because because if we didn't know about... If we didn't know what Doctor Strange 2 was officially called. 
if we didn't have yeah, 50, 50 million, <laughs> if we didn't have 50 million rumors flying around the world mm-hmm. about Spider-Man, if they yeah. hadn't fucking announced the casting of Kang the Conqueror, I can't even imagine what that final episode would have done to everyone. Because you yeah. go into the episode, you've already kind of guessed, this is going to be Kang. It's going to be Kang. And then the elevator doors open, and it's Kang. So already you're kind of like, okay, well, I, I just guessed it, which is kind of a bummer. But at the same time, I'm excited to see him. But then you're sitting there going, well, Doctor Strange is literally called Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And he's talking about not opening up the multiverse we're going to open up the multiverse by the end of this episode. Yeah. I, we know it's happening now. We know, we know it now. Um, so it's, you see, it's, here, here's where I will d- disagree with you. I thought the, the announcement of the casting of Kang is not an issue in my mind because we don't, I mean, this is, we're splitting hairs. I know it's semantics, but I know you know people will call us out if we don't correct ourselves. We don't meet Kang at the end of yes know, uh, Loki. We meet Immortus or he who he who remains. Yeah. Um, and I really like the fact that we knew who Kang was going to be. We knew um, Jonathan Majors was going to be playing Kang because when those elevator doors open and it was Jonathan Majors, I already knew, I shouldn't say that, but I suspected that this is not Kang, that this is a variant of Kang. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's closest to Immortus, but he doesn't go by it. He goes by He Who Remains. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was, you know, such an incredible reveal. And then Jonathan Majors just fucking eats the scenery for yes. the next 20 minutes of the episode. And it is spectacular. I've never had I've never been so enthralled by watching someone give a monologue for ten minutes. Yes. Um but it was just it was just great. I do you know it's unfortunate they have to we're you know it's it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation mm-hmm. because we're spoiled as fans and we want to know everything but we don't want to know everything. And we want to know what's next, but we maybe shouldn't all the time mm-hmm. know what the next films are going to be called or who's going to be starring in the next films or, yeah. you know, if Loki's going to show up in, in Doctor Strange or if, you know, whoever's going to be in whatever project. Yeah. But, yeah, when he starts talking about if you kill me, you open the multiverse, well, we know who's going to die at the end of this episode. Yeah. Um, that being said, when, when I was in that episode, man, that that was this is you know the the penultimate episode of, of WandaVision I know I talked to death about it and I probably watched it four or five times I can't even remember how many times but the series the season finale of Loki just it, it rivals it I mean it is excellent excellent television um there's a few hiccups with Ravona Renslayer and uh and Morbius uh, Mobius, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that interaction, I felt like there could have been 
Coulson as Mobius, uh, you know, Loki and Sylvie, like, all of it was just so pitch perfect. I was absolutely in love with that series from start to finish. Um, and yeah, I cannot wait for season two. Holy shit. It is, that's probably one of my favorite MCU properties thus far. It was, I mean, it was fantastic. And, and don't get me wrong, my, my thoughts that I'm having in regards to the marketing kind of spoiling some of the, the aspects of the episode does not diminish it. I, for me, I'm literally just talking about the fact that this, the, the season finale was probably a nine out of 10, just in the fact that we had someone literally walk into a superhero prop you know, walk into a, like, over-decade-old superhero property, walk into it, say, I'm going to spend the next 20 minutes talking your fucking ears off. And we all, at the end of it, wanted him to keep going. Oh, yeah. We didn't, we weren't sitting there going, let's get to the action. We weren't sitting there saying... You know, let's see a battle. Nobody's talking about wanting... You know, nobody's talking about Loki and Sylvie fighting at the end of the episode. Nobody's talking about that. Everyone's talking about Jonathan Majors talking. And that cannot be understated. So we're literally talking... For me, we're literally talking about taking an episode that was a 9 out of 10. And the difference between the marketing preventing it from being a legitimately being like a 15 out of 10 for being something that was just game changing that like something that would put the Iron Man post credit scene and the Thanos reveal in Avengers in their place. So I'm saying it was also good. It was also yeah. good, and yet what we were talking about was Jonathan Majors talking. Not that it was bad. Yeah. I'm sorry, but Loki in love with a variant of himself is the sweetest fucking thing I've ever seen. Like when he, I, I'm in, I'm in the happiest, healthiest relationship I've ever been in in my life, and I want that love. I, I, that is what I strive for. When he is like, I don't want a throne. All I know is I don't want to hurt you. And, you know, he's pleading with her to stop. And, you know, the, um, the line about, cause, cause you can't trust and I can't be trusted. I'd like mm-hmm. every, that is, you know, and I'll say this again when we talk about, you know, the next property that we're going to talk about. But Tom Hiddleston is so in love with playing this character. And I don't think this series has at all cheapened his sacrifice in Endgame. And yes, we kind of rush his character development. You know, he kind of, he gets to a similar place that we've seen him in. Um, I think his character progresses even more so rather quickly within the first two or three episodes. See, I, I think he's a legitimately different character than he is in 
Thor the Dark World through and are through Infinity War. I think they're two very different characters. Yes, but he also we've got to see him over many years have the hero turn, you know, in the in, you know have the sacrifice in Endgame, and you know he Infinity War. while he is a very different character, he's still Loki and he's still giving given the opportunity to have the hero moment and to show more character, show more development, and more growth. Yeah. Um, but he's just he's you cannot argue he fucking loves playing Loki. Oh, like yeah. if he and and I think it came out in an interview, you know, he would he would play Loki until basically until he dies if he's able to. Um, but I'll fucking continue watching because yep. Jesus Christ, he is never not entertaining as Loki. Yes. Although, shout out to Richard E. Grant finally showing up in the fucking show <laughs> and just fucking killing yeah. it. Yeah. Like, that, was, that was great. He he showed up at the end of the fourth episode in that classic Loki costume and I just went, thank you. Fucking <laughs> finally get around to it. any behind the scenes for this series have you watched the assembled episode yet I haven't watched the assembled episode yet but I saw the little YouTube video of uh, Owen Wilson and Richard E. Grant where it's like Richard E. Grant going Owen did I do good yeah man you did great yeah it's good and they just like slowly <laughs> walks off the camera and Richard just starts no, no, laughing no. You, did not, you did not get that justice he goes he goes oh Owen we finally shared a scene together what did you think of it and Owen goes fine work and he goes oh thank you so much and he goes no find work Richard <laughs> that is so they had so much fucking fun making this series and it, when you watch the assembled episode and you hear Owen Wilson talking about Tom Hiddleston asking him if you if he's ever performed Shakespeare it is the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen I still love like, the, I still I, love the Owen Wilson I had Tom Hiddleston to explain the MCU to him like that was his prep was just hey Tom ex- explain the whole thing to me just explain everything that's happened yeah the, the Loki lessons man I, I just to be a fly on the wall of, of them making that series would just be an absolute dream oh yeah <laughs> but yeah we're getting a season two of that we're getting we're fi- we're officially getting our next Captain America movie um mm-hmm. we're supposedly getting a Scarlet Witch movie which, mean, so. which means she must be killing it in Doctor Strange. Yeah. They, they must be seeing her stuff in Doctor Strange and loving it. So that just, that's the excitement level up even higher for me on that one. But, yeah. but you know, we gush all the time on this show about Marvel. We gush and we gush and we gush. And we talk and we talk and we talk. Let's head over to another neck of the woods and let's talk some DC. Because we got... Absolutely. On the five-year anniversary of What the Fuck Am I Watching, we got the Suicide Squad. (laughs) And we got a whole different version of What the Fuck Am I Watching. Yeah. (laughs) Instead of of it saying, saying angrily, we all said it with a little grin on our face. Um, 
So what, what were your initial thoughts with Suicide Squad? Alright. So... Whenever you give me the little... Whenever you give me the exasperated aspirin. <laughs> I watched this movie in possibly the worst way possible. Is that I watched it over four or five nights starting it after midnight almost every single time and falling asleep after about a half an hour to an hour. Not because I wasn't entertained. Not because I wasn't entertained. Because I was just exhausted. Yeah. I I absolutely, I I really, really enjoyed it. I was going to say I loved it, but, you know, I'm not going to try not to use hyperbole. Um, I really enjoyed it. I think we've used enough hyperbole up to this point. I think you're allowed to use some... <laughs> Hyper- I think you're allowed to spread the hyperbole. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's unfortunate because whether or not it was incredible, it was going to be the best DC DCEU movie, basically by default. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it's, I mean, as everyone suspected, it's really fucking fun. Fucking funny. Um, the people you want to see die die almost immediately. Um, I was. I don't know about you. I don't know if you suspected it, but I have to be honest. As much shit as we talk about Jai Courtney, there's one one role where Jai Courtney shines, and oh, it's yeah. Captain Boomerang. Oh yeah. And I was really fucking bummed to see him killed as early as he was. I was so um, I was emotionally prepping myself so much for him to die in this movie because like I just I had a feeling so I emotionally prepped myself and sure enough I think he's like the second death in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it's something like that because you know, Mongol grabs the helicopter and he's just taken out so he's like, yeah, it's something like the second or third death. Yeah. Um but it's, I mean, it's fun to see him, you know, it's fun to see James Gunn give his buddies work, even if it's only for five, five minutes or so. Um, but, you know, the core cast that we spend, you know, the majority of the film with, yeah. they're really great together. Their chemistry is awesome. John Cena and, uh, and Idris Elba battling through, you know, almost the entirety of the film is just great. Um, who would have thought? It, I mean, who in the who in the world would hear? Hey, you know who make a great comedic duo? John Cena and Edris Elba. <laughs> Before this movie, most people would probably bitch slap you for saying that. <laughs> now we all think it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it was great. You know, I mean, and I feel like a lot of people have this opinion, but fuck. The death that hit me the hardest was Rick Flag, and I couldn't give a shit about Rick Flag in the original. Yep. But you know, James Gunn found a way to make these characters very interesting and to make them have arcs and conflict that were compelling and fun to watch, and they were funny and they were um, they had great chemistry. I was really bummed whenever I heard that because um, King Shark was originally supposed to be. Uh, Steve uh, Ag, right? He's the body for it. He was the body, but I thought he was also supposed to be the voice. 
um, like that was a the last minute addition, more to, or less. To my assumption, it was always him doing the voice. Okay. Either way, so I I I don't think I knew that, or I thought that um, Steve Agee was also going to do the, the voice in addition to the you know the body capture. But fucking Sylvester Stallone steals the show. <laughs> I think the only thing that people, I think the only thing people want to see more than a sequel to this movie is the B-roll of Stallone in the recording studio, just saying there and being like, all right, all right, Stallone, go. And? Perfect slide, perfect, perfect. All right, let's move on to the next one. Oh, dude, when he's... There were... There were times friends. There were times where it legitimately did not sound like him. Oh, absolutely like, not. When he like the the one I want to see the most cuz I just I have such a hard time believing it was him was when he yells out fuck when his fake mustache is <laughs> is shot down. Yeah, yeah, that's great. When he screams fuck is his best moment in the whole movie. Um but yeah, the we especially with Rick Flagg, we had, we had this great chance where James Gunn put so much actual life and character into that role in how he wrote it, that it gave Kinnaman a chance to just start from scratch on building the character up. And as a result, yeah, we got just a phenomenal straight man for this movie. Like, he is, I want to see him as a straight man in more comedies, because he does a fantastic job as it. Yeah. But, yeah, I... I'm still bummed. Check out what's going on outside the Yeah. There's either a concert or the cops are out there. Yeah, it's the cops. Not for me, though. They still haven't figured me out yet. Um... But they, um, you know, the door get kicked in, and the, and the episode abruptly ends. <laughs> the episode won't I'll even. Ab- posted on Twitter. The episode won't even abruptly end. I'll just <laughs> my one phone call will be, will be to my wife. Publish the episode. <laughs> it's gonna get like, so many listens. Hour, with- dead air at the end. <laughs> like no, it's gold. It's gold. It's, gold. it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's, it's suspense. It's like the end of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It's just, it's brilliant. It's fucking brilliant. Trust me. Print it. Print it. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so I thought they did great with Rick Flag. Um, I, I'm s- still super bummed about Polka Dot Man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was unfortunate. Well, and here's the, like, for me, there were, there was no better show of when a joke didn't work for me than when we killed him off. Mm-hmm. The, to me, the joke didn't. It was, it was it, just so telegraphed. It was, it was super telegraphed. It was not earned and it was literally forcing it felt so forced, especially given how much we all fell in love with this character. Yeah. 
you know, we we all fell in love with this character, and you've got people. I mean, and and then like right when he's getting his big development moment in the movie, we kill him off in this abrupt yet obvious way. Um, yeah, I I mean I after we do his little spiel about his origin, um, I did go okay, he's gonna die. Yeah. But what I honestly thought is I thought he was going to save the day or at least play a huge important sacrificial part by letting the polka dots build up inside of him and letting that overcharge be what like does Starro in. Yeah. So I thought he was going to get his I thought he was going to get his big sacrifice moment and it was going to be a yeah. nice fun big thing. Um, it, it, it was frustrating because, you know, we wanted, after, after Peacemaker has the turn and, you know, we, we take care of him, we're left with our four characters that we've, you know, really grown to love. Yeah. Um, you know, whether or not you, and, and this, you know, I, I said I was going to make this point again later. Say what you want about um, Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. You could like her, you can hate her. She fucking loves playing this character. She, she is. It worked better in this film for me than it has in the past. Yeah, for she, sure. I really, I really enjoyed her in this film. Um, it is a, it is again, you know, sort of a different take than what they did with uh, Birds of Prey. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Um, gotta, gotta say the whole title. Um, because at least in that film, she felt like a person who liked to do crazy things. Mm-hmm. And in this film, she seemed like a crazy person. Yes. Um, but it was really enjoyable. <laughs> One of the scenes that fucking absolutely killed me was the Milton discussion when and, Loved and it. Margot Robbie has the most pitch perfect fucking delivery at the end of that when she's like oh Mil- Milton Milton like yeah. and she finally, it finally dawns on her who Milton is and then um, it you know, when she of course has to uh, has to have a call back to it at the end where she thinks that uh, Bloodsport is Milton She's it's Don Donneru um, Milton is but she's forgotten that Milton's dead <laughs> No, and um, but I mean, honestly, you know, like I said, I really enjoyed it. the The most compelling part of it, and when it turned from, you know, I was I was enjoying myself through the whole thing, and it was you know super funny, super clever. Um, but it turned from good to great when we have the turn from Peacemaker and when we have the concept between him and Rick 
there's there's a small part of me that's like, well, knowing knowing that we see his light is still on later when Waller is threatening to blow to blow the devices in their necks. A small part of me is like, well, maybe we can do like with Peacemaker, and we can magically make him survive what killed him, because Peacemaker is fucking dead. Like, it's, the more I thought about it, the more it pissed me off, because I was just like, one, even in the initial watching of the movie, I was like, wait, when we get into that end credit scene where he's in the hospital, I'm sitting there going, that's not where he got shot. I'm like 98% sure that's not where he got shot. I'm pretty sure he got shot somewhere closer into the center of his neck. One. Two. His body was laying where Starro's tentacle came through the floor. <laughs> like. I'm not buying that he is still alive. I'm just not. Um, yeah. It's. I mean. Hey man, this could be a setup for. Uh. I don't know, I'm sure DC has some sort of shape-shifting sort of chameleon villain. Maybe somebody's taking his place. But, yeah, that was a little... Um, forced. Yeah, it was a little forced. And when we... To, to go back to... Um, I know we've talked about it for quite a while already. But going back to Hope Not Man, when he is killed, and how you had said that you know his death doesn't seem earned... This is a character that we've really grown attached to, mm-hmm. and that's you know probably you know in part why James Gunn killed him off. Um, you know, it wasn't exclusively because of a you know not so great joke, um, but it was also a little not disheartening to see Harley Quinn live. But it felt like well, Harley Quinn has to live because Harley Quinn, you know, she's Harley Quinn. Like that was the one character who it felt like. You know, she's got the plot armor. She's got the main character armor. She, she so. and Bloodsport, she and Bloodsport both had plot armor. Neither one of them was ever at risk of dying. Um, the problem is, is that the so with the exception of one character of the Suicide Squad, every single one that survives was an issue for me. Ratcatcher to me was just a character that while she gives a great performance and she has value, she was there to have abrupt changes in the tone of the movie. Um, and to do the overhumanizing thing that I didn't like in the first Suicide Squad. I don't need them humanized. These are supposed to be douchebaggy villains that are reluctantly trying to save the world. I don't need them to be inherently good people. Yes, we're talking about our love for Polka Dot Man and how he's, you know, he's really not a villain, admittably, but he still, he still is more than willing to kill. Like, he's still, he's still, he's still ready and willing to kill Anyone that you point a finger towards and say, kill them, he'll happily do it because he's, he's mentally disturbed. Um, but with Ratcatcher 2, she's like, all we really set up for her is that she's a vagrant who does some burglary with using rats 
and for some reason that's good enough to put her in the most dangerous prison in the world <laughs> and be considered important to have on the suicide squad. Like, her existence in that prison to start with doesn't make sense. And then it just kind of steamrolls from there where we're, we're taking these these breaks from from the tone of the film to give her... She has a whole separate tone from the rest of the film. Um, and then, yeah, Bloodsport, he's... I mean, I, I wish when they knew it wasn't going to be Deadshot and Will Smith, they had re- gotten rid of the daughter and given him another reason to go into the fight. Even if it was literally, like... In all seriousness, if the movie had been, we show him doing all that cleaning, and they go to ask him for the first time, and he gets up and he's like, yep. (laughs) He's just like, yep, sick of cleaning toilets, desperately want to kill something, so sure, I'll be on your squad. Sure, let's do it. Even if it had literally been something as simple as that, it's like it would have been personality defining, it would have been, you know, moving everything, it would have worked. Um So you got that, and then throw on top of, like, you've got Peacemaker, who, I mean, honestly, like, in all seriousness, after his turn in this movie, do you really want to watch a Peacemaker, a multi-season Peacemaker TV series? Yeah, no. Exactly. Like, we just had him trying to kill Ratcatcher 2, who is somewhere between the ages of 13 and 34. <laughs> um, if we're being honest, she is like question mark in her age. Um, but we just watched her, tr- we just watched him attempt to kill her. Why in the world now do we want to watch a comedy series where we're rooting for him? It doesn't make sense to me. Um, and then, let me, uh, jump off of what you were saying, because that was, you know, we're going to nitpick a little bit that is one of my problems with the characters chosen for the you know vote the squads mm-hmm. because in Peacemaker's mind he is a hero yeah you know he's doing this to to keep peace to restore peace whatever it is um and you know he's in you know sort of an anti-hero if you know in the context of, uh, you know, his story or whatever. We don't, we, we understand that Michael Walker's character, um, Savant, mm-hmm. is probably a crazy person because yeah. he kills that bird seemingly for nothing yeah. <laughs> other than being there. Breaking his concentration. We don't know, exactly. Yeah. We don't know anything about TDK. I don't know why he's a villain. I don't know why he's on that team. We don't know anything about Javelin. I don't know why he's a villain. I don't know why he's mm-hmm. on that team. These these two characters could easily be heroes. Weasel is just a awesome creature. <laughs> like, yeah, he's not. You know, and they they make a joke about it. Like he's killed a bunch of children, but again, he's either a failed science experiment or some weird sort of evolution. Which is better than in the comics, where in the comics, the original Weasel was a crazy man in a Weasel weasel costume. <laughs> so, upgrade. Big upgrade. But, <laughs> that's what, uh, that's where Sean 
like, I'm going to put you in a weasel costume. He's like, absolutely not. He's like, I'll, I'll do motion capture. Let's put make me, him an axe, put, actual weasel. Put me, I, I do not put me in a weasel costume. I want to be in a tight gray spandex suit. I want everyone to be able to look at me and know what my religion is. Do not put me in a weasel suit, though. Sixteen, um, they weren't all villains. This is Katana. She's got my back. I recommend not pissing her off. Her blade traps the souls of its victims. I hate that I remember I mean, that. Granted, I don't know granted, why I remember it, but I hate that I do. Granted, I probably could have quoted that too. But the fact that you fucking brought it out and quoted it chapter and verse so quickly, you need to go take a fucking lap. You need to you need to do something as recompense for what you just did. See, the thing is, I blame I blame the honest trailer from Screen Junkies more than I blame the oh, yeah. actual movie because they. I <laughs> yeah. think it's I think it's in the honest trailer like three fucking times. <laughs> But uh, just just real quick, going um, be- before we dive into the, the to the big group at the beginning, because I, I think that's I think that's a bigger conversation than people give it credit for. Um, so I I mean I talked about uh, most of the characters who survived at this point. Harley Quinn. My honestly, my biggest complaint with Harley Quinn in this movie is we get this more fun more interactive version of her. And what do we do? We put her in her own fucking movie for the first two acts of this movie, essentially. Yeah. We we send her off to be in her own fucking movie. I do not want to see Harley Quinn in her own movie again. I want to see her in the ensemble movie that I came to go see. Like, I like the character Harley Quinn. I think it's a fantastic character. I think... The character of Harley Quinn, in my opinion, has the most fertile ground for things that you can do with the character, things that you can explore with the character, than any other DC character. Like, I'm willing to argue that point. Um, But I don't want to just keep watching Margot Robbie go off and make a movie by herself while everyone else has to share screen time with each other and be able to share, she's off there getting her own movie. Yeah. I also wanted to love the the hallway fight sequence more because it was good, but holy shit was that choreography so out of was so jarringly out of sync with the music. <laughs> and that that's just coming from my musical that's my musical theater background that's that's I, I I'm willing to put that on me not on the movie but for me for me it was just so jarring that I it just I just kept being like no 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 on tempo on beat on the beat on the beat damn it <laughs> um so I just kept being like that the whole time 
Um, so yeah, and then finally, also, I didn't like her being stagnant and having to have a big cry moment about the Joker. We've had two movies, one that was all about her breaking up with the Joker. I want to see her past that point. Um, like, I, I posted the other day my casting choices and my director choice for a Gotham City Sirens film. Because I want to see a Harley that's past the Joker. And that she should have been in this movie. So it was insane to me that she that we had to take a moment to give her this big cry monologue about him. Um, and people might view it differently than, than me, and I, I, I get that. It's, I, it's definitely a very interpretation thing, but she just felt very stagnant to me um, in this movie because of that, in terms of her progression throughout the movies that she's been in. Um, and then I get where people are saying that they made her dumber in this film. Um, it's not consistent throughout the movie, but it's little things like the trying to slap Javelin awake after he's died to ask, like, who am I? Like, it's one of those things where if a character that we didn't already know was smart did it, it would be funny. But because we know she's smarter than that, having her do that felt just Like, it's one of those things where, like, if he wrote that for... Polka Dot Man to do, or if you wrote that for Peacemaker to do, it would have been hilarious. If you've got Peacemaker smacking another guy as hard as he can, trying to get that the answer out of him, that to me that's funny because he's kind of an idiot. Um, but having Harley Quinn do it, she's smarter than that. She might be crazy, but she's not an idiot. So I get where people think that she was written as dumber. I don't think it was consistently throughout the movie that she was written as dumber, but I do think she was given moments where her where her IQ was dropped for the sake of a joke. Um, and then I know this is going to be probably one of my most controversial opinions about this movie, but once we got to Jotunheim, I did not want to keep stopping the movie for King Shark. The little octopus... King Shark, or, King Shark, once you hit the third act, King Shark doesn't matter. He's not essential to the story. He's not contributing to the movie. He's slowing down the runtime. We, you know, we've got the whole thing of like, okay, so bullets can't penetrate him, but these little tiny octopus creature thingies can pierce his flesh. And then apparently even after they... Pl- pierces flesh, then the bullets, if they, you know, still aren't able to penetrate any spot on his body. Like, it it got to the point where he was so clearly just there for comedy that we forgot that he needed to be included in the movie. Um, and once we hit the third act, it was, a, it was apparent to a problematic point to me. So we get, like, by the time we get to the end of the movie, the most compelling character we kill off we and then we have to keep stopping the movie for you know just changes we have to keep we have to keep stopping the movie for for changes in the in the I'm totally spacing on words here but the the mood of the movie I'm just going to use that for right now but we have to keep stopping to change the mood of the movie 
for King Shark or for Ratcatcher 2 or for Bloodsport's daughter that we don't give two shits about and it, and would not give two shits about her dad being on the news anyway. Um, so, like, that... Whatever. Um, but it, it's just... So I, I mean, those, those were my, those honestly, those were my biggest problems with the movie. But at the end of the day, I still enjoy it. I love the fact that he cast Doctor Who to play someone who is very much a Doctor Who villain, complete with the fate of a Doctor Who villain. I, I didn't brush up against that so much uh, with King Shark just because I did enjoy my time with him so much. Um, I, I understand though where you could have a problem with that. Um, one of the things that, you know, the Honest Trailers, the Honest Trailers guys uh, pointed out and was, you know, I'm, I'm nitpicking here, but they very easily take care of, you know, the little Starro you know, clones that go for your face by just swatting them away. And wouldn't that, wouldn't that have been a more interesting climax is King Shark gets one of the stars on his face. I thought that was going to happen. With, what? I thought that was going to happen. Yeah. I like mean, going into the movie, knowing who Starro was, I was like, oh shit, that's what's going to happen. We've been dealing like, you know, we've been dealing all the movie with him and his want to eat humans and gain him kind of under control. And now, boom, we're gonna we're gonna lose control in a big, dangerous way. That's to me. That's why I thought it was gonna happen, and it just seemed cool. Yeah, I mean, we we didn't get that, and then none of the characters have to deal with that problem. I mean, the, the they they are dealing with a a mass horde of you know the extension of Starro, the army of Starro, mm-hmm. but not one of them gets a star on their face. And if Starro doesn't try to go for them again, it's like, he yeah. gets the crowd, he gets another crowd, our, you know, core four or five are unaffected. Yeah. And they don't have a problem other than we have to take out this crowd now while contending with, you know, the, the kaiju, the, you know, yeah. the giant monster in the streets. Um, but I liked Ratcatcher too. I liked her hero moment. Um, I liked Taika Waititi as the original Ratcatcher. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was another, that was another bummer for me was just that it's like, okay, well, I know we're not just showing, he, I know we didn't just cast him just to shoot up in, a van window. So I was just kind of waiting. It, it just led me to go, okay, I'm just waiting for more flashbacks now. I know, I know they're going to come. So where are my other, the rest of my flashbacks? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had saw before, uh, um, before the film came out that another guardians cast member had a voice cameo. Do you know who it was? Or well, not a voice, not a, not a voice cameo. Mantis was the main, the dancer in the red dress in the club. 
Yeah. I didn't see that at all. Yeah, Palm was Palm was in there. So she was gotcha, yeah, gotcha. she was in there. Um So yeah, that was that was kind of the secret cameo. Which at one point she was in the the like IMDB credit listing and I remembered it. So I I was kind of looking for her and I it's the only reason I can give myself credit for catching that. Otherwise, who knows if I would have. Um, I'm, I'm sad enough that I, I probably still would have, but who knows. Um, <laughs> hey, you caught Will Ferrell in the uh, Impractical Jokers movie, and I never would have caught that. I'm proud of that one. Yeah, I'm proud of that <laughs> one. I don't know how I did it, but I'm proud of it. Um, so here's here's the interesting question. I've seen it I've seen it bounced around a couple of times on some other podcasts and and online. Um, who do you think did it better? Suicide Squad with the opening beach or Deadpool 2 with the with um, X-Force? Oh. I mean It's it's sort of cheap, but I think it, I think X-Force I mean, that was so funny to have, um, you know, Brett, we have Brad Pitt cameo, mm-hmm. and then, uh, oh man, I'm totally... Bill Skarsgård, like, right while he's in the height of Pennywise. What's up? Bill Skarsgård in the height of Pennywise. Oh, yeah, but who's, Rob the, Delaney. Uh, who's the comedian that was just a guy? Rob Delaney. Yeah, well, they just show them away. Oh man, yep. that was that was real good. I haven't watched Deadpool two in it's probably since it came out though, so I'd I'd have to give that another rewatch. Yeah, and I think it's it's one of those things where I think it's a I think it's an interesting question to ask, but I also admit that it is incredibly unfair. Um, <clears throat> first of all, with Deadpool two, they did a, a really good job marketing the movie. So you did not know that was going to happen to all of them. They marketed them being in the movie like they were going to have, you know, like not super significant supporting roles, but they were going to have significant supporting roles. Um, and then it's all, and then it's all just the shock value of one after another, after another of fairly creative deaths. Um, Whereas with Suicide Squad, the marketing has been about, yeah, the majority of these characters are dying. Deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the marketing also, in my opinion, really worked against this movie. Because, uh, you know, and speaking with a couple of guys at work, we all agreed that through the trailers, we pretty much knew how the first two acts of this movie were going to play out. Pretty much everything up until them showing up in Jotunheim, we were fairly confident we knew how it was going to play out, and then we were right. Um, so there wasn't really an element of surprise, as much of an element to surprise with the begin with the beach sequence in Suicide Squad. I mean, there were still some good surprises, like the whole bit with did anyone check if Weasel could swim? awesome um you know the captain boomerang death is shocking in a number of ways um he i mean he legitimately has one of if the most brutal death of 
any one of the members of the Suicide Squad. Literally I mean, he's getting obliterated. He's like, well, nothing left. Well, he's riddled with bamboo, mm-hmm. and basically just has to wait for his impending death to happen to him. Um, <laughs> though some people, have, though some people have pointed out that the the way that his arm and the type of boomerang that he has, um when they're kind of showing all the dead bodies and they're showing just his arm with the boomerang in it, um, is very reminiscent of when he was, um, brought back to life by the Black Lanterns. So, Green Lantern Corps, bring, bring back Captain Boomerang. I'm pretty, I, I would say that Captain Boomerang is somebody I'd be more interested in seeing a series of. Mm, Especially. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we get we get a couple of fun kills, but it's a lot of, like, TDK's is funny, but he and Javelin both, you know, just get riddled with bullets, and then they're done. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we, we know, we know, you know, and once people start dying, we know that, Harley Quinn and Rick Flagg aren't going to die because we've seen more scenes with them in the trailers, so we know they're okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it... It's one of those things where they could have done to learn some marketing tricks from Marvel, because like, whoever, whoever at the trailer place decided to put shots of Harley with the javelin in the trailers without digitally removing the trailers. Whoever did that should be fired. Because it was just like, oh, so he's gonna die. Because she's got his stuff. Um, But I think, and I think the mass killing at the beginning, I think is also partially to blame for Polka Dot's death. Because honestly, I think the number one reason the Polka Dot Man dies is because James Gunn just realized... He just realized, like, oh shit, I, it's, like, I've, basically, I kill, do a ton of killing off of Suicide Squad members at the beginning of the movie on the beach, and then after that, it's, what, Rick Flag and Polka Dot Man, and that's it? Yeah. Like, once we get to, like, after we do that opening sequence, the movie really doesn't have any better of a kill count than... The last Suicide Squad movie, you've got Polka Dot Man in place of El Diablo, and you've got Rick Flagg in place of Scott Eastwood's character, who blows himself up. Um, like, it, it really had, like, if you subtract that opening beach sequence, it really has the same death count. And this, and it's kind of, you know, it's kind of, a, it's, a, it's a bit of a bummer. Um, that... That you know, it would have been fun to see them kind of. It would have been more. F- I I would like to see one of these movies get made, where it's throughout the movie, almost like a horror movie, mm-hmm. where you're just like, well, who's gonna go next, and how are they gonna go? Like, are the you know like, are they just gonna turn a corner and one of them's gonna get just get shot and killed? Like, are they you know like how many of them are gonna make it? to the end, and, you know, what, yada, 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 and yada, 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 and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
you know, what, it, you know, like, oh my goodness, you know, are they going to be in Jotunheim, know that the trackers are off, and, you know, is Captain Boomerang going to go up to Thinker and say, you know, hey, try to get this thing out of the back of my neck, and because it has some sort of, like, if it gets touched while activated reactor thing to it, as a result, it it detonates, and that's how Captain Boomerang goes out. You know, he goes out abruptly in the movie because he tries to take advantage of the moment to get out or something like that. Like, I think I think more sporadically throughout the film would have done it, done the movie a favor. Um, I think, and I also think some more big names because no disrespect. But, um, nobody thought Mongal was surviving the movie because, who are you? Like, to, to general, like, I, I guarantee you there are people who know exactly who she is, but to, like, dime a dozen people, who are you? Like James Gunn's James Gunn's names are big movies are big enough now that you see Michael Rooker, you know who he is. You know, that's Yondu. He's got Yondu in the movie. Um But like, you know, guy who you cast whenever you need a, someone who's actually German to be a German a weird German guy in your comedy <laughs> as Javelin. No one is putting money on him surviving the movie. But if you get a bunch of, you know, you get a bunch of, like, big-name celebrities playing all these characters that are going to get picked off one by one, um, instead, the uh, of the survivors, Ratcatcher 2 is the pretty much the only survivor who's not an A-list name. Um, and everyone who dies in this movie is a, a B- or C-list name, in all, in all honesty. Like, I mean... Pete Davidson's little star is kind of burnt out on people's interest in who he's dating and how he's coming along with moving out of his mom's basement or which kind of a dude teenager is he playing on SNL. Like, all that's kind of died out for him, so he's not really, like, the A-lister that he was back when he was cast in this movie. Sorry, but... So you don't have a lot of... Like, you don't have a lot of big names in this movie, and sure enough, the big names survive. So. Speaking of big names. Fuck. I I know it's a performance, and I know I'm supposed to hate her. I fucking hate Amanda Waller in this movie. Like, she is the most despicable fucking person. And I... We knew she was going to be taken care of, uh, you know, before the Suicide Squad gets to save the day. But I'm just waiting for someone to fucking bash her fucking head in. <laughs> because she was so, I, you know, and that's that's the role, but I, she was fucking evil in this movie. <laughs> there's, there's a theory out right now that I love and I'm 100% committed to. And this is not my theory. I don't know who created this theory, but it's not mine. Because, like, most of the stuff that I say that sounds really smart or really good or really funny, I'm probably not the first person to say it. Um, 
but there's a theory that she either knew, at least knew and did nothing, or orchestrated black guards selling out the team. That the whole point of that team was to get sold out, have the entire army be right there, and slaughter all of them. So that's why veteran Suicide Squad members like Boomerang and Harley Quinn are on the team, and why she has Rick Flagg, who she obviously doesn't want getting to Jotunheim and finding out the truth, are on that team, is so that they could also be eliminated as well. Um, of course, of which, technically, only one of those is a success for the beach. She still gets her wish with Rick Flagg, but... Um, but, yeah. So what? No. <laughs> I was just telling the listeners Tom just passed out. You just no, nope, I'm still just here. Moved I'm still here. To the side, just disappeared from the frame. I had another one of those moments of did I turn the baby monitor? No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> I always forget. To, I always forget to turn another thing off when we record. Uh, I, mm. I I have friends they'll that listen to the show and they'll text me and go, dude, what? What, was that your daughter crying in the background of your last episode? Yes. Yes, it was. Forgot to turn the fucking thing off, okay? So sue me. Um, but yeah, I think overall... Overall for me, I think Suicide Squad's... The Suicide Squad's a really good movie. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's a breath of fresh air. I think tonally... I think Shazam is still the best film because tonally it's the most consistent of the current DC batch that we've gotten. Um, I think it just edges this one out. Um, and I think in terms, and part of it for me is I think James Gunn knows better because anyone who's seen super and remembers the sidekick in the field um, and that sequence, I don't know if you've ever watched Super. Uh, I've seen Super. I love Super. Yeah, where the the fate of his sidekick in the field. Yeah, like the tonal shift. That's gut wrenching. That, hmm. That's gut wrenching. It's and it's a perfect tonal change to that movie. That's like consistent with everything it needs to be. Like it works perfectly. I think Super does a lot of what this movie does, but just just a little bit better. Um, so I, so it feels like he just had a little bit. It seems like a little freedom goes a long way for James Gunn. Is is kind of what I felt like with this movie. Um, and I'm blaming Warner Brothers for the fact that this movie is needle dropping was not up to the standards of your normal James Gunn fare. Yep. Um, I mean, Edgar Wright is still the champion of the needle drop, but this felt, this felt more forced like the first Suicide Squad movie or... Um, this it felt more forced like that, not as random as a Quentin Tarantino film, but not as as organized as normal James Gunn. But I mean, what what for you or kind of your final 
thoughts and takes on the thing. Um, my thoughts are, I really enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, didn't have the, didn't, didn't go about watching it in the best way possible. Um, I honestly probably split it up into like five or six segments of, of actually watching it. But once I, um, finally finish it, you know, it, I really enjoyed it as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is probably my favorite uh, DC film um, as of late. Uh, but, you know, this and um, Birds of Prey, I really enjoyed. Uh, I think Shazam is uh, a close third for me. Um, and, you know, maybe Aquaman is fourth or something, but everything else is... It's a, it's a wide gap between three or four and, and then everything else that has come out so far but this is like you said this is a breath of fresh air and I hope we continue to move in this direction and you know honestly I think I don't think Warner Brothers would be wrong for making a lot of their properties rated R I think if they put it in the hands of creators who want to take these properties and do you know tell interesting stories and I mean these are superhero films you know this film is especially not for kids, but, you know, a lot of them should be for kids or, you know, sort of all audiences. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like DC has the potential to tell, um, you know, we we love Marvel, and like you said, we gush about Marvel all the time, but they, they have a, they do have a formula, and they have, they're trying to, market their product to the widest audience possible. And I think Warner Brothers and DC need to stop doing that and play to their strengths. And, you know, everyone, you know, dark and gritty became a joke because of, you know, Batman Begins and the Dark Knight and, you know, everything had to become dark and gritty. Yeah. There's not necessarily anything wrong with that. You know, if there's elements of realism, if there's elements of darkness, that's Mm -hmm. fine. Um, but it doesn't need to be your entire slate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if there's a dark character or a dark story you want to tell, then tell it. If there's a funny story that you want to tell or um, whatever, you know, you, they need to learn how to better serve their properties and that'll better serve their, you know, their audience. Yeah. Well, and I think DC has had more appeal from a comic standpoint with individual standalone graphic novels made by noted um, noted writers and animate and um, and and I'm gonna say animators, though I'm probably using the wrong word. Um, and I think the movies would do best to suit themselves to that too. That being said, I don't want to see shit like Joker get made again. But you know, let you know, if if a noted director comes in and says, hey, I want to do this kind of a take on this character, or I want to do this kind of a take on a character, they should just let them. Yeah. You know, they have this whole... And, like, if they're super nervous about it, then, you know, they can make... You know, they can make a mandate of, you know, this is how many we make that go straight to HBO Max, this is how many we make that go to theaters, yada, 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 and they could have a setup like that, but, like... I mean, like I said online, I or like I said on Twitter, I want to see a D-Rees 
Gotham City Sirens. I want, you know, bring Margot Robbie back as Harley Quinn. Bring in Julia Fox as Poison Ivy. Um, bring in, totally spacing on her name right now, but the judge from Loki, That there's your Catwoman. Um, yeah, I don't know why, but Mousy Face just is... Mousy faces to me belong in Catwoman. Um, I don't know why. I, apparently, that's my type for Catwoman. But you know, then give me, you know, then give me a power struggle. You know, give me Poison Ivy and Harley trying to help Cat Catwoman do a burglary while while you know in the midst of a power struggle between Talia Al Ghul and her half sister. Um, Naira, I believe is her name right now, I'm probably saying it wrong, make Talia Al Ghul Megan Fox and make Naira her half-Russian, psychotically vengeful sister, Lady Gaga. <laughs> like, 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 give me that movie. Make it as comedic or as, you know, make it, make it however best fits your, you, you know, what you want to go for. I will be there for it, whether it's turning it, hitting play on HBO Max, whether it's sitting down in a theater, I don't care, but continue to bring in, like, legitimately original creative stuff with legitimately creative filmmakers, and I will be there. You know, you want to give me, like, you know... I don't know. I could go on for hours just pitching directors and projects and shit like that, so I'm not going to do it. But, you know, we have a lot of... There, there's just a lot of potential, and the revenue that studios are going to start getting from streaming services, especially ones like HBO Max and Disney+, Plus, are going to give them, hopefully a willingness to be more bold and to, to do things that are a little crazier. So it's what I'm hoping for. But yeah, for all the Warner brothers executives that I know listen to our show. Um, yeah. If you like, if you liked my idea for Gotham city sirens, just make sure to, uh, give me a producer credit. Let me help out on set. Maybe play a character. I don't care. Just something. Just l let me make that money. What if? Oh no! I I have been running around like a headless chicken lately. I have not given my, like when I sit down. I've been like I just want mindless. I like if I watch new movies right now, it's legitimately watching them at the theater, um, doing like the test screenings. It's like back when we were at our theater together. Where we'd be like, yeah, I don't have a fucking free moment at home to watch a new movie. Like, going to, going to Wednesday night test screenings, that's how I go to the movies. That's how I see new movies. Um, and that's, you know, that's been me. I've been, you know, I've been uh, re-watching What We Do in the Shadows to prep for season three. But also because I know I've watched the show 50 million times, so I can just listen to the dialogue. <laughs> And no, like, oh yeah, Nadia's, uh, Nadia's faking, stabbing Laszlo with a knife right now. I know, I know what's going on based off the dialogue. I don't need to watch right now. Um, I, I can do, 
you know, I'm doing that, I'm like, I could play a video game I've never played before, or I could play Borderlands 3, and, uh, <laughs> enjoy, they just released Vault Card 2, so I can enjoy some of that a little bit, you know, um, mentally, have mentally, you, so you haven't watched either episode, I have, I have, not the most recent one. I have not watched either episode, Right, so I I will try to have them. Wa- I will try to be caught up on the show by next episode. I promise. Um, I I'm giving away nothing. I don't want to. I don't want to reveal too much. Okay. I just want to say very a very fitting end for uh, for Chadwick Boseman as uh, T'Challa. What I like to hear. That's all you need to know. Um, good. Yeah. And for everyone who who liked the the Captain Carter episode, um, maybe you should have watched the fucking TV show. <laughs> if you liked watching her and stuff. Um, no. The, the fault of that TV show was people turned on that show because the Marvel one shot and just the character's general history was about creating S.H.I.E.L.D., and then you turn on a TV show that's not about her creating S.H.I.E.L.D. for two seasons. I I liked the show, but it, it, it kind of earned its loss of viewership and cancellation. I hate to say. Uh, it brought it on itself by not focusing on the premise that it was suppo- that it should have been about. Um, yeah. But... but I, I do envy you a little bit um, letting at least two episodes build up before you watch them. Because you're gonna watch an okay episode followed by a very very good episode. Okay. So it was not a struggle, but it was uh, it was difficult to wait a week in between. Uh, you know, if if the whole series was going to be what episode one was, I honestly could have written off the series. Mm. I just probably still would have watched it, but begrudgingly. Yeah. What what I'm really curious about right now is they've talked about how it is MCU canon, so I'm going to be watching each episode going, I wonder if we're going to be seeing a live-action version of this or this or this in Multiverse of Madness or in Season 2 of Loki. Uh, I'm going to be wondering that a lot. Uh, I would not be opposed to seeing live-action Captain Carter, but we'll see. We'll see how things play out, and we'll see how things go. Um... But yeah, uh, in the world of seemingly strange decisions in superhero movies, they move Venom again. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, it is now getting released October 15th, the same weekend as Halloween Kills. Um, people are very confused by this move. To me, I am not surprised in the slightest it's kind of a genius move from Sony. It's not kind of. It is a full-on genius move from Sony. Because they've got... So, you one... The fact, that, the fact that it was supposed to come out in roughly a month still didn't have a rating. And we weren't really talking about it or doing a lot of press means that they were in the middle of probably course-correcting it from an R rating to a PG-13 rating. 
or securing it down to a PG-13 rating. At one point, I swear the movie was supposed to be R, but it's definitely... Yeah, I thought that too. I I will be shocked if it's rated R, quite frankly. Um, But assuming, like I I do, that it's going to be PG-13, you now have a movie that's sitting at the same weekend as Halloween Kills, that's sitting in between weekend, that's, you know, sitting on, you know, your side of James Bond, Jack, it's surrounded by all of these movies. So first of all, the movie's not successful. They can literally just go, well, look at all the other movies. It's not our fault. Everyone just chose to go see everything else. That's not our fault. It's like, no, it is your fault. Cause they still could have chosen to go see you. And they said, no, let's go see something else. Um, but the other thing that they're going to have is the opening weekend. They're going to have, they're going to, I guarantee you they're hoping for the whole Wild Wild West thing. Which is part of the sale, not like not like a ridiculously large amount, but a portion of the Wild Wild West ticket sales were teenagers buying tickets to Wild Wild West, walking past that theater, and sneaking into South Park the movie. So now you hope that teenagers buy tickets to your Venom movie while they're trying to sneak into Halloween Kills, and then in the second week, to sneak into Jackass Forever. There you go. So, literally, they are, like, it is a smart move, because now they can bank on ticket sales for people who aren't going to watch the movie, and therefore give it a bad review. Um, (laughs) They're basically safe from getting a a bad review. Like, the people could have liked the movie, but now they know for a fact they're not going to give them a bad one because they didn't even see the movie. Um, but they're still going to get the ticket sale from them. So, as they continue to basically beg and plead and do whatever they can to try to convince Marvel to let them full-on team up. But, I mean, the reality is, if Venom does not do well... If Ghostbusters Afterlife does not do well, which, as much as I loved parts of the new trailer, including the fact that Ray still runs the occult bookshop from Ghostbusters 2, I was very happy with that touch. Um, Despite that, like, the trailer still is not solid to me, but if Ghostbusters Afterlife doesn't do well, then that property is just done for them. They can't bounce back. They can't bounce back from a direct sequel. They've tried. They'll basically be. They've tried every direction and they failed. So the Ghostbusters property won't be anything for them. So they'll literally have nothing, nothing whatsoever except for their Spider-Man movies. And it like at this point. Pretending that Mobius is gonna make Morbius is gonna make Morbius. Yeah, I keep doing that. <laughs> Pretending that Morbius is going to make any money with or without the pandemic is honestly kind of silly. Um, I mean, it's it's a movie they're trying really hard to make sure people forget about. Yes, or give some distance between. Hey, we're in a global pandemic that is caused in part or you know, in whole from a virus jumping from bats to humans to a man trying to cure his illness by using bat blood. And it's a, it is, 
it is not going to be a good time. No, there's never going to be a good time to release a movie where Jared Leto walks around being basically basically makes a full length movie version of a thirty second to Mars music video. Um, where, where you're just so. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was very funny. I was on mute. <laughs> Again, if it was funny, probably not the first person to think of it. Um, <laughs> but I mean, if Venom, if Venom Two fails at the box office for them, and to be generous, if Morbius fails at the box office for them, at that point, Sony doesn't really have much left and it's really just going to become a question of over the course of the next five years who's going to buy them first because I think that's going to become the question is who's going to and because the thing is that they're going to have two choices they can either be bought entirely as a studio or just sell all of the Spider-Man stuff back to Disney and hope to God that the money they make off of that sale can keep them afloat to try to get something else off the ground. Yeah. Because eventually, eventually yeah, they're I mean, going to have to sell Disney Spidey to survive. It's going to happen. It, it, it feels like a matter of time before Sony Japan is becomes bored or frustrated with owning an American movie studio. Yeah. And they go, no, we're, we're a tech company and, you know, we're successful enough through technology and hardware and video games. We don't need to sustain a movie studio that is more or less only profitable when we partner with MGM or Disney. Yeah. So. Yeah. We are a tech company. We are very successful with selling our PlayStations when we feel like making them. <laughs> Critical detail. Um, hey man, I got my PS5. Yeah, I know. You got yours. You don't you don't give a crap about about anyone else's troubles. I'm i I'm still sitting I'm sitting here with my Xbox One going, Yeah, this is nice. <laughs> hey, if not for my wife, I'd still be sitting here with a three sixty going, Oh, the graphics are so good. <laughs> No, I'd be I'd be sitting around going, I wonder what happens in the in all my franchises that I've started and can't finish because they're on the next gen console. <laughs> wonder what happens when Hellblade when Hellblade Two comes out, I'll be real real jealous. I don't have an Xbox. I really hope it plays on my Xbox. <laughs> I don't know if it's good. I think it, I, 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 think, I, I think, think I think I think it will, but I think yeah, I'm that's... I think I'm back a generation for it. I, th- I think it's, but we'll see. You'll have to come over yeah. and pull like an all-nighter playing the game with me or something. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. When it, when that comes out, I might find a, uh, an old Xbox, um, Xbox One S or something. And just to, just to play that and, and Sunset Overdrive, if it hasn't been ported or sequelized for PlayStation. <laughs> I feel like somebody mentioned that it was it was headed over to the PlayStation, so. I hope so, dude. 
you you place you place you PlayStation people you PlayStation people finally got one one of the Xbox exclusives. We're gonna cry over it while we play you know Square Enix games while we play Crash Bandicoot. Okay. I. It is so much fucking fun, and because it's Insomniac, and now Sony just owns Insomniac outright, their first party studio. They have incorporated the um, the Rhino, which used to be Rip You a New One. Mm-hmm. It's now Arm. Rift You a New One, mm-hmm. and when you use it in the new game, it brings in characters and elements from other PlayStation titles like Jack and Daxter will pop up mm-hmm. or Sly Cooper will pop up. I've seen stuff. It's it's fucking awesome. And then you can change the uh only the coins they... that you get in uh, ratchet and, or the bolts that you get into the overcharge cans from mm. uh from Sunset Overdrive, oh, so that's pretty pretty sick. <laughs> if only they could have made a movie as exciting as the video game. Wait, it's just, here's here's the real it's question. Great. Here's the real question. Are you going to take Tarzan to Paw Patrol the movie? I I'm I'm thinking about it. I'm going to try. I've been I've been debating to I've been debating taking her to her first movie and having it be the Paw Patrol movie. Um cuz people people are liking it. Who knows? Maybe, maybe if if each of our kids go to see it, maybe we'll start an episode with a little mini review of just us quizzing them about how they feel about the movie. <laughs> we can, that would be awesome. We can we can start an episode with with guests that people would much rather listen to than us on a whole new level. <laughs> we might get a uh, we might get over fifty listeners on those episodes just uh just to hear some adorable voices. Over- go. Over, I like Sky. No, I like Chase. Over fifty, over fifty <laughs> listeners, but they all stop listening <laughs> right as they. <laughs> hey man, if it still gives us a listen, I got no problem with that. We'll take what we can get. <laughs> we're we're needy enough, aren't we? <laughs> uh, you have anything else that you want to uh, let people know about? Tell people about. Make sure other people are excited. Uh, well, not a kind of situation it does um yeah if 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 i wasn't worried that it would turn it off i'd pick up my tablet right now and just to mock you i just slowly turn the camera in a circle <laughs> every every single time i pass that theater when i'm in the projection booth the camera is just going in a circle <laughs> Whether or not that film 
I've forgotten most of them. So I'm going. I'm going to predict right now that M Night Shyamalan's next movie is going to be about if your body temperature gets too hot, you get smarter and smarter and smarter until finally, (sighs) until your finally your brain bleeds and it kills you. And if you get too cold, but if you get too cold, you get dumber and dumber and dumber until you literally forget how to do things like breathe and you just die that way. That's going to be his next movie. Cause that's, and it's going to wrap up this trilogy that that's the happening then old and then whatever that, that movie is going to be. But literally what I'm worried about right now, I am so glad that nobody listens to this show because You know, if M. Night Shyamalan heard that, he'd be like, I think I can do something with that. What a twist. I think I can do something with that. But the important question, how do I write me into it? (laughs) I have no idea if I'm doing, like, an impression of him at all. I just, that's the voice that I decided to give him. I don't know what his voice sounds like. I automatically go to the robot chicken. What a twist. Guys, I I got nothing. I've seen I've seen a bunch I've seen a bunch of movies at the theater lately. Um, you know, if you if you if your theater still has it, go see Green Knight. Um, If you've got older people in your family that want to laugh, take them to Jungle Cruise. Uh, If you got game, if you've got gamers in your family or people that don't want to just hate something because it's popular, go watch Free Guy. The movie is literally the new thing to, like, hipster hate, is what I'm going to just call it. It's the new thing to hate just because it's there. Um, but it's actually a pretty good film. Um, but, is this the first time since uh, Hannibal Burris that uh, Taika Waititi's in two number one films, like, back-to-back weeks? I think so. No, because I'm, I'm still... He was a, I, I know, I know. He was I, a cameo in um, The Other Guys. He was the B in The Other Guys. He was a cameo in uh, Angry Birds. And then he was in... Uh, fuck, something else. He's in Baywatch. Anyway, what was it? He's in Baywatch. I don't think that was the one, but anyway. He's in... He's in Bay. He's in Baywatch, which one of my favorite things about Baywatch is it includes annoyed supporting character cop guy played by can't pronounce his name who's about to fucking kill it in the new Candyman movie. Oh yeah, and who deserves like the best career ever because he like he did so much with Black Manta when he was given shit to work with, um, but yeah. Anyway, he was, he, he was my pick for Craven the Hunter, but. Johnson well, that's that's <laughs> at, that's at Sony, and that's if they can even afford to get past pre-production. Um, so I'm not. I, I who cares? Um, but yeah. So 
yeah, go watch Free Guy. It's worth it. It's fun. It's just fun. All the people that... People getting on me all the fucking time about not just enjoying movies. Like, go fucking enjoy this movie. Um, <laughs> sorry, having college flashbacks. Uh, <laughs> but no. Um, see, guys, that's gonna that's gonna wrap it up for us uh, for for this week. It, it, you know, fantastic to be back. We look forward to being back uh, more regularly. We'll have to see what we uh, we'll see what we come up with for next week. I know we've got some some ideas for the future. I know we've got some some devious plans in store. I'm still waiting begrudgingly for cats to show up on a streaming service somewhere so we can fulfill our our lost bet from Godzilla vs. Kong. Uh, But, yeah, guys, uh, with that being said, you guys can follow us on Twitter, at Movies Work. You guys can email us if you have bigger, longer, more drawn-out thoughts. MoviesAfterWork at gmail.com. You guys can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, anywhere else that you can think of. Please make sure to rate, follow, subscribe, like button, whatever it is that they do on there. Uh, it helps them notice us and think, hey, we should let people know they exist, which is always good for us getting a little bit of attention. And let's face it, why else would we be here? Um, so, guys, with that being said, uh, for Movies After Work, I'm Thomas. I'm Alex. Be kind, be safe, and have a good day at work. <laughs>